reading is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, and this can be found in the Church Bible on page 960. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. And Linda's going to come and share some reflections on that passage with us now. So let's pause as we pray for Linda as she speaks and that we may listen. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of salvation that it brings us. And we thank you that you daily renew our minds into the likeness of your Son. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, and speak deeply into our hearts and minds. As Linda shares her reflections this morning, we may hear that still small voice of your Spirit speak in truth and comfort and challenge into our lives. For we ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. So, our Bible reading this morning, Jesus enters Jerusalem. We heard in Mark's Gospel this morning how Jesus, towards the end of his earthly life and ministry, enters the city of Jerusalem in a striking and controversial manner. He enters in the style of a conquering king, but actually he's riding on the back of a donkey, dressed in ordinary clothes. And as we know, this Sunday in the church's annual calendar has been given the title Palm Sunday, recalling how the crowds, as they watched Jesus enter Jerusalem through the city gates, gathered and stripped branches from the local palm trees to wave enthusiastically in celebration. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is actually something that was recorded by all four gospel writers, So it's probably an especially memorable and significant event in Jesus' life and in the life of his disciples and the people of that city. And something you might like to do this week is to go away and look at the four gospel accounts because each of them will give perhaps a fresh insight into this 
memorable event. And it actually occurred to me that something quite similar happened just this past week in our own age. When huge crowds welcomed and acknowledged another king as he made his way into the city. I'm sure you've seen in the news how thousands, thousands of people lined the city streets as the remains of King Richard III, the last Plantagenet king, the last English king to die in battle as long ago as 1485, as his remains were brought to lie in Leicester Cathedral. The cathedral and civic authorities were astonished at the reaction. They couldn't quite believe that that number of people wanted to welcome this set of bones into the city. Many thousands more queued for several hours to file respectfully past his coffin prior to the burial service last Thursday. And the cathedral staff had to open the doors early and close them late because there was so much interest. And whatever you may think about this last week's events, whether you believe they represented something of historical or spiritual significance, or whether you think it was all a bit of a fuss about not very much, one thing we can say, looking back at the past week, is that it shows how the imagination of ordinary people can be powerfully captured by the notion of a king, their king. Even a king who died several centuries ago, a king with a dubious, tarnished reputation. Though interestingly, Richard's life is being revisited in a new way and previous preconceptions about who he was and what he did are being reshaped and his significance is being reevaluated. Something worth remembering when we come to look at Jesus and what people said about him or believed about him. So maybe it's not so difficult for us to imagine the reaction of ordinary people who responded so enthusiastically to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, the people welcomed him just as they would have done a king. They waved palm branches like flags and they shouted his praises. They treated him like a king even though he wasn't dressed in fine clothes. He wasn't riding a splendid charger. He wasn't wearing a crown. But that didn't stop people recognizing that here before their very eyes was a strong and powerful leader, someone who was worth acknowledging, worth following, worth celebrating. Perhaps they recall the words of Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, who had spoken of a king triumphant and victorious, but riding on a donkey. And here was that person, just as the psalmist too had promised, riding in majesty to victory for the defense of justice and truth. So just as the crowds in Leicester last week seemed to see something beyond a simple wooden box, containing a set of 500-year-old bones. So the crowds in Jerusalem that day seemed to see something beyond the simplicity of an ordinary man riding on a donkey 
they saw something much deeper and significant, or perhaps some of them did and some of them didn't. I'm sure there were many people that day in Jerusalem who had actually seen Jesus at work in their city and in the surrounding villages. Healing broken hearts, setting captives free, giving hearing and sight to the deaf and the blind and causing the lame to dance. They had seen this man Jesus bring love, joy and peace in the midst of sorrow and hardship. They'd seen him come to the aid of the poor and the weak, the rejected and the disempowered. And there may well have been some who would have even seen Jesus conquer death itself when he raised Lazarus to life again from the tomb. So for the ordinary people, there probably was much to shout and sing about, much to celebrate, for Jesus was like a conquering hero, like someone who had beaten all opposition in a sports competition or had won a great battle. And in Greek and Roman times, if you won a gold medal at the Olympics or you won a military victory, then you would receive a crown, not a crown like the kingly crown we see here, but a laurel wreath, a crown of victory. The gospel accounts don't record whether the crowds offered Jesus such a crown to wear when they celebrated his arrival in the city, but if they had, perhaps it would not have been surprising. Perhaps it would have been one woven from palm leaves. So why did Jesus enter Jerusalem in this way? allowing the crowds to vandalize the local palm trees and wave branches in celebration and to praise him as their king and acclaim him? Did Jesus intend it to be a sort of feel-good moment for the people at the start of the Passover celebrations that week? Or was Jesus actually trying to redefine some notions for them, as he had done all through his earthly ministry, redefining even the notion of what it means to be a king, painting a picture for them of a different sort of Messiah king to the one that many in that age were expecting or had been taught to look out for. He wasn't going to be that battle-ready king that some Jews were hoping for, a king who would liberate his people by force from the oppression of the Roman occupation and who would re-establish the kingdom of Israel and the Jewish nation just like his ancestor David had done. But if not a powerful and victorious king, what sort of king could he be? We know from Matthew's opening prayer that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is actually a provocative act. And it sets off a chain of events that will lead inexorably to Good Friday. The acclaim that Jesus receives from the crowds enrages these religious and civic authorities and will lead steadily to Jesus' betrayal, to his trial and sentencing, to death on a cross and burial in a borrowed tomb not the sort of king that was really expected by most people. But this is also the point at which Jesus commits himself inexorably to God's rescue plan, God's plan of salvation for humankind and all creation, 
which is so much better than any plan that humans can ever hope to devise to solve their problems. It will not be a rescue plan that depends on the power of might and force, but rather a plan that involves the power of love and self-sacrifice. The road into Jerusalem city that is today paved with cloaks and branches laid down by enthusiastic followers will in a few days' time become the road along which an innocent and persecuted man is forced to carry his cross on the way to a cruel execution. And on Good Friday, the Messiah King, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, will be wearing a very different sort of crown, not a golden crown or a laurel victory wreath, but a crown of thorns, a crown of suffering. Not the king that was expected by most people. Over the past few weeks in our Sunday morning worship, we've been reflecting on various passages from John's Gospel, in which Jesus encountered individual men and women in a very personal and life-changing way. And one of the main themes that runs right through John's Gospel's accounts is the ability to see Jesus having one's eyes opened to see and grasp the truth about who Jesus really is, to meet him and recognize the signs that point to Jesus as God's own son. Signs like turning water into wine, calming the storm, raising the dead. And in each one of the personal encounters that we've been looking at and reflecting on, whether it was with Nicodemus or the first disciples or the Samaritan woman at the well, or the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus challenged each person to lay aside their preconceptions and to allow God to open their spiritual eyes so that they could capture a fresh and deeper sense of God's presence and purpose in their lives through the identity and mission of Jesus himself. Jesus encouraged individuals to ask themselves this question. Who exactly is this man, Jesus, that I see before me? And why is he important to me and my life? Jesus once asked his disciples two questions. The first was, who do other people say that I am? And the second was, who do you say that I am? And I sometimes think that these two simple questions have always been at the heart of the Christian faith. They underpin the content of the Alpha Course as people explore faith. And they're also questions which God calls us to reflect upon throughout our own faith journey. Who are the crowds saying that Jesus is? Who do other people say that Jesus is? Who do I believe Jesus is? As Jesus draws individuals and groups into relationship with himself, so he challenges and changes each person, encouraging them to see him in a new and fresh way and responding as their understanding of his relevance to their lives develops. 
So as the crowds watch Jesus enter Jerusalem humbly riding on a donkey, I wonder what they saw. I wonder what they understood. Was it partial? Was it full? And it seems to me that we see Jesus once again challenging those who encounter them, counter him to have their spiritual eyes opened and to see God and God's world in a new way. He challenges the crowds throughout Holy Week to grasp more deeply the true nature of his identity and his mission, to understand that his kingship and his kingdom is not of this world and not in the way the world expects. It's a different order altogether. As the events of the next few days unfold in Jesus' life, this truth will become even more sharply defined. At the Last Supper, Jesus will offer his disciples a dramatic image of what it means to be a servant king. And as he engages with the Jewish leaders and Roman authorities during his trial, we shall see Jesus challenge normal human perceptions of power and authority, truth and justice, and show what it means to be a suffering king. And perhaps this coming week, as we approach Good Friday, maybe we can ask God to help each of us contemplate the events of the final week of Jesus' earthly life with fresh eyes. The events are familiar to many of us. We've heard them year after year. But as we listen to Jesus' words, And as we watch what he does, perhaps we can pray for fresh insights and a deeper understanding of what the example of his life and death mean for each of us personally. Perhaps like Nicodemus and the other individuals Jesus encountered, we can allow ourselves to be challenged by God to lay aside some of the preconceptions that get in the way of us seeing Jesus for who he really is. Perhaps Like the crowds in Jerusalem, we can be challenged to a much deeper understanding of Jesus' identity and mission as servant king and suffering saviour. So let's pray that God will open our spiritual eyes this week and so help us to develop a full and faithful response to Jesus' question to each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Amen.